This is made for you by All Souls, a church in Seattle, Washington, seeking to be a community not just for ourselves, but a vibrant expression of who God is, gracious, present, hospitable. Take a moment now to come as you are and bring your attention to God. Well, uh, a warm welcome to you, especially if we haven't met. My name is RJ. I serve as a pastor here. And I'm a bit sad that we're at the end of um, this letter from Jesus' brother, James. I love this letter. I need this letter. And this is my last reflection with you on it as Carol will close us out next week, and then we will begin the Advent season and head into something a little different. But I so appreciate the down-to-earth way James speaks about the life of faith. He is showing us how to mine diamonds from the regular stuff of the earth. James shows us how wisdom holds up in the most difficult and pressurized situations we faced, and, as we'll see today, in the situations that are so familiar to us so as to be invisible. In our passage today from chapter 4 and chapter 5, James is talking about how we regard time. When we wake up, right, and look at the clock, when we're wondering what time dinner will be on, when we're scheduling meetings, we try to exert some level of control, right, over our circumstances and our lives with time. We plan. (laughs) In chapter 4, verse 13, today or tomorrow, a time is announced, we will go to a place, a location is added, and we will make money, a goal is supplied to what is happening here. James is talking about planning. We will do this. We will go. This is what we ordinarily do so often in our daily lives, right? But James is saying that there's a difference between the normal way we operate when we plan and a way of operating that is wise and beautiful, humble and refreshing that he's trying to invite us into. James actually calls our normal way of planning evil. Whoa, (laughs) right? So what, what is wrong with planning? What is wrong with our planning? Whatever it is, James seems to think we don't even notice it when we're doing it. See, our regard for time and the way we make plans kind of has a smell to it that we have stopped smelling. It's so familiar. It's sort of like the smell of the sea, right? If you live like we do here in Seattle on the Sound, you get used to the smell of seawater and seaweed, and you stop noticing it unless it's like on a day when it's very strong. But when someone comes to visit, right, and sometimes we have visitors from landlocked parts of the country, they come here and they notice the smell of the sea instantly. Today, James is like that visitor who has come to see us and wants to point out a smell that we have grown so used to We can't smell it anymore. The smell of an attitude we carry around. So used to it, are we? So pervasive, so natural. Just to not exert yourself is to do it. We we don't even see it. We've stopped smelling it. And what is that smell? He's saying it's something to do with our planning and the way in which it smells of arrogance. So let's look at this together. To go about your life, to make plans to organize your time and forget God. That is what James is trying to help us see and smell. One of the most common and most ruinous habits we have 
is simply to forget God. And we do it all the time. We make decisions. We set goals. We work our weeks. We interact with family. We shop. We spend. We drive. We assume we will arrive. And we do it without any reference to God. We fail to connect what we do and what we feel, who we are, with who God is and what God has done for us. James calls this arrogance. James wants us to smell our attitude here, the smell we have become so accustomed to that is actually, as he later describes it, a must of arrogance. (laughs) To simply say, tomorrow I'm going to go do this and that reveals our forgetfulness. By contrast, James is saying that we're supposed to say something like, with the attitude of, if God wills, I will go and do this or that. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Friends, do you live your life in reference to God? Or are you, am I, dominating the whole horizon of our lives so that we forget all about God? And if we are, Let's talk about this. What's so bad about it? What's so bad about this? If that is how we live. Well, let's think about it this way for a second. How do you like being forgotten? How do you like being forgotten? There's actually something worse, right, than being criticized. It's being simply ignored, like not existing to other people. To be forgotten when someone is hosting a party, to be uninvited, The holidays are a time of year when this sort of loneliness is especially felt. Being forgotten is hard. What makes it even harder is being forgotten by somebody you love and are close to. A close friend, a parent, a spouse, who in the practice of daily life forgets to ask who you are and how you are, forgets to follow through, forgets to show you care, forgets your birthday, if that's ever happened to you, Parents, Carol didn't do that. My, someone else did that to me. <laughs> Just want to not leave you on the hook there. <laughs> but parents of older children among us, right? How do you like when you feel forgotten, right? To not get a phone call for months, to not hear updates, to not be checked in upon. It's a terrible feeling. Now think about this from God's perspective, relationally speaking. How would you like to be thought of only on Christmas or Easter? Or maybe better yet, only on Sundays? Or how would you like to be thought of sort of perfunctorily for 10 minutes a couple of mornings a week? How would you feel when you created, right, and knew each person in their mother's womb, as Psalm 139 puts it? When you made things to delight our hearts in, like wine, as Psalm 104 puts it, and you want to share in that joy with them, When you entered into hardship with that person, putting your own body on the line for them, pouring out your very life for that person, how does it feel to be forgotten? One of the most damaging things that we do on a regular basis is to forget God, the one who has made us, the one who invites us to share the joy with him, the one who interrupts our self-destruction schemes with like, hello, it's me again. To remember God is life, friends. 
Abide in me, Jesus says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. James is calling out the difference between a sentiment that nods to God and a life that is lived with God. And he is drawing out this moment when we plan, when you know, he wants to put the spotlight, uh, gives our attention a focus to the way we use our time and plan. And he thinks it's really serious. Because when you forget God, what also happens? You become God. You try anyway. And that's what James calls arrogant. Chapter 4, verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So how does, how does James get from boasting, uh, get to boasting from like forgetting? I, I think it's helpful to just like pause here and look at that for a second. How does James get from uh, forgetting God to suddenly boasting? And, and I think here's how. When you forget God, you begin to take his place. When you forget God, you begin to take his place and practice functionally. This is what you do. Look, we see this throughout the history of people who are trying to make sense of God. There's theologians over the centuries who have noted that we are made to be in God's image and we are made to resemble God, right, in ways that are beautiful and good and appropriate. But so often we resemble God in distorted ways. We actually want to take God's place in distorted ways. That's what happened in the garden with what the serpent was all about, and how sin then became a part of who we are, this replacement of God. So theologians, and this is interesting that I heard recently this week, um, this history of, I've never thought of it this way, but theologians, when they describe God's attributes, have these two categories, right, for God's attributes. This was helpful to me to know. Communicable and incommunicable. Okay, those are words we don't necessarily have a lot of context for apart from like the way diseases spread, right? Some diseases are communicable, some are not. Uh, but that kind of gives us the idea in a weird way, of, in a helpful way, of how these theologians are using these terms. So communicable attributes of God have to do with character, so are like truthful, wise, holy, communicable attributes of God. Incommunicable attributes of God have more to do with God's being than his character. So we are creatures. He is the creator. So he is different and has these different attributes. They all begin with omna, okay, which is a suffix that means all. So you've heard words maybe like this, omniscient, another way of saying all-knowing, or omnipotent, another way of saying all-powerful, it means he is the only being that is absolutely self-sustaining, needs nothing, no conditions, no contingencies, absolutely sovereign and free. Now, we have an intentional forgetfulness when it comes to God's attributes and resembling him. We reject, we don't care about his communicable attributes, but we crave his incommunicable attributes. So, for instance, we don't care about righteousness, but we care a lot about always being right. We don't care about holiness, but we desperately want God's self-existence. Friends, when we forget God, we start stepping into his place. Like we have this sense that I have the right to call the shots in my life. I have the knowledge necessary to do that. And then I assume the place of God in my world. James calls this out as arrogance. But culturally, we've made a virtue of making ourselves. So again, what's so bad about this? Well, anxiety is. When we step into the place of God, we act as though we have the attributes of God. Like, I know what tomorrow will bring. 
I know what has to happen here. I know where history will go. But if you live this way, if you plan your life this way, it ends up feeling like a lot of pressure, a lot of anxiety. It's forgetting God. It's forgetting who God is and assuming his place. And it's a weight under which we crumble when we ascribe that weight to ourselves. James' invitation is this, in the words of the Psalms, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Now, glory is a word that simply means weight. Ascribe to God the weight that he can uniquely handle. He who is all-powerful, omnipotent. He who is all-knowing, omniscient. Like, what if you said, I would like to fill in the blank, okay? You set a goal, you're hoping, you're praying, but at the end of the day, you don't know what is best for you. If you leave that space in your life for God to be God and you to be you, a child, you get to receive the care of your father. I mean, sure, you may be anxious, but you won't become bitter about your life. You won't have to bear the weight that will crush you. If you forget God, you also forget who you are. Ascribe to the Lord the weight he can uniquely hold. How would this change moments when you wonder, for instance, look at those people, look where they got to in life. When discontentment seeps in, when you are tempted to be bitter about your life because it is not going to plan, maybe you are aspiring to have God's place in your life. And it's time to step down, (laughs) to step back, and take the first step on the path of wisdom, which is this, giving weight to God, ascribing glory to God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but that word fear means revere, to give weight, to allow and ascribe the glory that is due to God. And then you can learn about your limitations. Then you can learn about them by grace rather than learning about your limitations apart from grace and experience the crushing weight of anxiety. Friends, if you forget God, you learn about your finitude in the most painful of ways, in ways that we are not meant to hold up. That kind of pressure can destroy you. Instead, James' invitation is this, if it's the Lord's will, we will live. What James is saying is this, like any condition, any emotion, any situation, in any context, you can remind yourself the only reason you are still breathing is because God is personally allowing that to happen and personally tending to you. Do you realize like how different your attitude to life can become if you remember that every heartbeat and every breath was personally sustained by God? Our connection to God is that intimate. Our connection to God is that consistent. Our connection to God is that constant. Let that humble you. And as you experience God's constant care, a space for gratitude can emerge. An abundance becomes possible even in something as constraining as time. So here's a question. And you can answer this, okay? Here's a question. What time is it? You can say it out loud if you got a watch on you. What time is it? 4.43. Okay, that's great. All right, so what time of year is it? Fall, yeah, I'll call it fall. 
What month are we in? November. Okay. What's happening this week? Thanksgiving. Right? A simple question we can presume to know the answer to. We know what time it is. We know what season it is at some level. It can look as basic as that, right? What time is it? And yet, we have Ecclesiastes 3, right, in our reading today. And we're invited by God to consider the answer at a deeper level. What time is it? Here's some options from the reading earlier. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. What time is it? What time is it for you right now? A time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. After reflecting on time, the author of Ecclesiastes says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has already made everything beautiful in its time. Did you catch the tense there? Friends, what if every time we checked the clock, made our plans, we could come to this place where we could trust these beautiful words and live by them? Will we not be less anxious for tomorrow? Will we not be more observant of the needs of those around us? That's where James goes with this, talking directly to people who are so consumed with their plans for making money that they capitalize and hurt and harm the poor in their midst. Will we not have the capacity for gratitude when someone asks us or we ask ourselves, what time is it? Something is basic and as common as checking the clock and making plans becomes a portal to the very beauty of God. Friends, may it be so among us. Amen.